Uma Gyana Timirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chaksurun Militam Vena Tasmai Sri Gurave Nama Ajanulam Bita Bujo Kanagabhadato Sankirtanai Kapitoro Kamalaya Taksho Vishwamboro Dvijaboro Yugodharma Palo Vande Jagat Priyakaro Karunavutaro Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sodito Gurudai Pushpavanto Chitro Sandotamono Namo Brahmanya Devaya Go Brahmanna Hitayacha Jagadhitaya Krishnaya Govindaya Namo Namaha He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dinabandhu Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radhakanta Namo Stute Tapta Kanchan Gurangi Radhe Vrindavanishwari Prashabhadu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Shri Gauri Vaishnav Gurvan Praki Jai Shri Krishna Janmastami Mahamosutiti Ki Jai Gaur Bhaktavinda Ki Jai Gaur Premande Morning So we are celebrating the Krishna Janmastami and we've been celebrating for about a week or so now and that celebration has included the observance of the Baladik Purnim, the appearance of Balaram. And um, today is the actual Janmastami. Today, well, it's actually tomorrow, isn't it? Midnight tonight, so that means tomorrow. But anyway, celebrated today and tomorrow with the Nandotsava, festival of Nanda Maharaj, and that happens to correspond with the appearance day of Sri Desi Bhakti Bhadanta Swami Prabhupada. And um, so we'll be honoring his appearance day as well. And in the course of this week, we have been engaging in discussion of the Avatar Tattva. So the principle of the uh, behind the descent of the Godhead into this world. And our discussion began with a discussion of, of Baladev himself, uh, glorified as he was, as he is in 15th chapter of the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam by the uh, by, by Krishna. And in the context of um, glorifying the environment of Vrindavan, it's so pleasing to Krishna and so conducive for Bhakti, and that environment being a manifestation of the Sandini Shakti that Baladev presides over. So at least we anyway, began our discussion about Avatar Tattva discussing Baladev himself. And now then since then we've been discussing from fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where the uh, principle of the Avatar is, is brought up and where the theology of the Gita is introduced for the first time just a little bit. The main subject of the first six chapters of the Gita and the fourth chapter falls, of course, in the middle of that is not tat but twam, to use the Vedic uh, aphorism of the Vedanta, tat twam asi. So twam means you, it means us. And so the main subject of these chapters is us, what we are. 
And the main subject of the middle six chapters then is Tut, about him, uh, in connection with whom, or in, in, in relation with, with whom, when we are understood, ourselves are fully understood. But in order to understand ourselves in relation to him, in bhakti, in love, and so forth, it's necessary to separate distinguish ourselves from that which we are not. So these beginning six chapters have much to do with that, the subject of Tvam, what you are, in terms of what we are independent of, of matter and the various means by which that can be uh, realized or I should say that can be the various means by which that can be pursued in consideration of one's eligibility, where one is along the the great uh, path of self-sacrifice and ultimately love. All of these paths are depend upon some bhakti in order for them to be fruitful and appropriately so the discussion in these first six chapters ends with an emphasis on bhakti itself and with discussion of bhakti must come a discussion of Bhagwan, the object of bhakti, the object of our devotional love and so again, the middle six chapters, Krishna comes out very clearly about himself. And there he has brought Arjuna to the, uh, to the shore of bhakti. And uh, he's got a very pure heart. He's described there in the seventh chapter as being non-envious. And on account of that, Krishna feels comfortable, he says. And it's saying all these things about himself that around people who are uh, don't have any affection for you, you might be a little more closed-lipped and not so uh, prone to uh, toot your own horn, so to speak. So, But here he's doing that. and he's But he's done it, in the fourth chapter here, at the request of Arjuna. So he's, he's um, thoughtful and, and uh, polite and so forth. And... Uh, because Arjuna has asked, so he's going to say a little something, or he has been saying a little something. Started this chapter, fourth chapter is really about uh, Gyan, Gyan Yoga, the or the mystic wisdom that results from acting in the world, uh, moving in the world, devoid of a motivation, devoid of uh, the motivation of the of the carrot, so to speak, of our activities, the fruit of our activities. We are moving after the fruit, and so we don't pay that much attention to, to the work that we do. <laughs> and we don't get necessarily the, the possible purification from a hard day's work attached to the fruits as we are. So there's a way, and it's called yoga, to walk in the world, if you will, that will foster the kind of sitting and inner contemplation that yoga is classically about. How you walk will determine how you can sit. And if you're only walking after fruits and being motivated by that, then it'll be difficult to sit. But if we renounce the fruits, and Gita speaks of them renouncing them in a particular way in relation to the Supreme and so forth, then uh, this will cleanse the heart, which makes possible the ingress of mystic uh, knowing, wisdom, knowledge. So the, the chapter here after karma yoga, the yoga of action, 
is jnana yoga. Krishna has already taught us that the two are the same and that they're, the goal of them is the same, the result of them is the same. They're different stages. And Thakur Bhakti, we know at the end of the sixth chapter where all these different types of yoga, the culmination of that discussion is found, he says that all these different, Nishkam Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Jnana Yoga, so they're all different stages of the big thing of yoga that culminates in bhakti. So they're all, have a, have a unity in them, so to speak. So at any rate, this is where we are in the Gita, and this is where the theology is kind of introduced as a side bar. So it's not the main topic of the chapter, it's not the main topic of this section of the Gita. Again, it's mostly about Twam rather than Tat, but something about Tat is mentioned here. And the context of that is that in order to inspire Arjuna to take up this yoga, that it's quite a challenge, and he's a warrior, and he's kind of whimpering a bit about the uh, business at hand, as understood by Arjuna, withdrawing from his attachment to uh, his uh, uh, egoic sense of self uh, derived from those attachments and uh, pursuing the great uh, challenge of of yoga so it's 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 not for weak hearted people again and that's one of the things we learn here in a, in a sense he's a big warrior arjun and he's he's very very powerful Chatriya, and there's many instances of his uh, prowess being demonstrated in the Mahabharata and other sacred texts and so forth. And here he's at the thought of of killing his false ego. He's trembling. He doesn't know if he can go the course, stay the course, and, and so forth. So it's it's not for with the weak-hearted people. This is a real challenge. Yoga. Mm-hmm. properly understood. Mm-hmm. But if you hear about it from good sources and you get some just some glimpse into what the prospect is, what the possibility lies in such pursuit, then you'll have to have to go after it somehow or other, however and however uh, unqualified you may seem. And the good news of course is that that Krishna acknowledges the weakness of Arjuna in all of this, but comforts him in the, in the course of the text more than once, a number of times with the idea that I'm, I'm behind you. I, I think there's, there's more. You're not on your own on this. After all, it culminates in a relationship with me and so there's somebody on the other end here. Hmm? And I'm reaching out to you in the first place to encourage you to take this up and so forth. So you have my backing. So at any rate, he needs to, because it's a challenge, he... Uh, needs to inspire Arjun about this kind of yoga that he's been been talking about uh, to take it up. And so he, uh, here in the beginning of the chapter, speaks about the history of the tradition, it's how it's ancient, how it's been around a long time, because that which is, in the extent to which something endures in this world, the more credibility it tends to have. We have the Ivy League universities, as I mentioned the other day, because ivy is growing up the walls, the implication is they've been there a long time. These are towers of, supposed to be pillars of, of learning and education, and uh, and um, so they have, they have they're, they're credible. So um, we 
give more credibility to what we experience in our waking state than we do in our dream state, largely because those experiences are more enduring. They're categorically not very much different. Mm-hmm. Things that we, 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 we embrace a beautiful guy or a girl in the dream and they turn into a monster you know, within a few seconds. And that can happen over a couple of decades uh, in a relationship too in this world. So, it's, it's, But anyway, we give it more credibility, as I say, because it's more, uh, the experience tends to be more enduring. Although, from a broader perspective, it's pretty short, the whole of our, uh, the spot of our life, the frame, one frame of our life that is uh, part of the great uh, movie of our eternal existence. So, at any rate, Krishna speaks about the history of this yoga. This is long, old, old, been around forever, he says, like since the dawn of, uh, of creation. I spoke it, and it's not just for anybody and any, everybody, it's really a special thing. I spoke it to the, to the sun god. He says. So, without going into the, the ancient cosmology of the of the text and and so forth, the point here is that again, this is this is credible. This yoga, it's been around for a long time. It's meant for uh, higher people. It's not just meant for anybody and everybody, but for people of of um, character. Hmm? I spoke it to the gods. He said so. In wanting to, in seeking to awaken greater faith in what he's speaking about by speaking about its antiquity and the high class people that participate in this and so forth, Krishna has also created a doubt in Arjuna. And so this is generally the course. Well, in the context of awakening faith, the guru will also create a doubt by taking us into uncharted territory and then we feel a little uncomfortable about it and then we should should question. The guru is meant, to, the teacher is meant to keep us kind of on the edge of our seat, so to speak, um, so that we don't settle in and think, I've understood it all. That's, that's when we've lost everything. You know the story of the Bhagavatam and... I've told many times. Now the man wanted his son to get education and sent him to Benares and he came back and father said, did you get an education? He said, yes. He said, did you study the Bhagavatam? He said, I don't think we studied that book. So father said, go back and study Bhagavatam. Then he went and studied the Bhagavatam in return. Father said, did you study the Bhagavatam? He said, yes. And did you understand? He said, yes, a very important book. Well, I could have, that book alone is, gave me more education than any other book that I studied in Benares, which is a seed of learning and so forth in India. So Father said, so you understood Bhagavatam? He said, yes. So he said, go back to Benares and study the Bhagavatam again. So bewildered to some extent, some went back, studied the Bhagavatam again, came back. Father said, so did you study Bhagavatam a second time? He said, yes. Now I know why you sent me back the first time. I didn't understand it really the first time, although I thought I did. Now after a thorough study the second time, I could say I've understood it. And Father said, You've understood. Go back to Benares and study Srimad Bhagavatam again. Again he went back. Again he studied. Again he returned to Vrindavan. And Father said, so did you study Bhagavatam a third time? He said, yes. And did you understand? He said, I cannot understand Srimad Bhagavatam. Father said, now you have understood Srimad Bhagavatam. Such is the nature of the, of the subject. Unknown and unknowable. Something like that. 
but lovable. And there's a kind of knowing in loving that said that if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. But how can we know comprehensively he who does not know himself completely, who's forever searching himself out, his fullness, his completeness, who, who, who questions what is it in me that she sees of Radha's vision and her love and wants to taste that and thus the birth of Chaitanya who is the combined form of Radha and Krishna. Krishna uh, in his most introspective and even moments of existential crisis. So if our God is having an existential crisis wondering about the nature of his existence and the extent to which he exists, the extent to which he is the king of love and and so forth, then how will we know him completely? But he's lovable, and he's knowable by love, and in love, in, the, in love, then we find newer and newer meaning. That's the nature of it. Love turns faults into ornaments. It has, it has, it has a power. It, it is a power. And um, to consistently draw out more and more and more. So, so, Unknown, unknowable, and such is the nature of these uh, uh, this uh, subject matter. And so, the, so the teacher wants to keep us in that space. And if we settle in and think, "I've understood, I know everything." One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, hundred and eight. This is what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is. Then we know we've, we've we're an illusion. <laughs> In my, we may know to some extent. We learn a theory, and if you learn a theory well, then then you will know that um, the theory cannot do do justice to the subject matter. After all, it it it's it's uh, subject matter is beyond mind, beyond words, beyond reason. The medium by which to go there, if you will, and taste and experience is faith. And then if we have to reason about it, speak about it, think about it, then how, how limited we'll feel. This is the frustration of the teacher. How to talk, having gone there, experienced, to come back to external consciousness and speak about it is problematic. Therefore, there tend to be some long-winded talks about these subjects amongst the Vaishnavas. Katayantas chamam nityam. Katayantas chamam nityam. They're always talking about him. So Krishna has created a doubt in Arjuna by speaking about the antiquity of the tradition of yoga and the kind of people who uh, participate in it. Gods, for example, which is, again, by way of wanting to say, this is a good thing, you should take it up. But he created a doubt in him, and the doubt is that Krishna said, I was there, I spoke to the gods. And uh, Arjuna said, well, you're, you know, he's saying, you're sitting right here, you're my friend, you're my chauffeur. Here, my ta- my cab driver, my my chariot driver. I'm saying turn left and you turn left, turn right and you turn right, and you're telling me that you spoke to the gods. So, how is that possible? This is my doubt. And also, you know, how, how can you be there and have and have been there and be, and be here? And furthermore. Humans generally don't talk to the gods. The gods talk to humans. They don't. So you're telling me you're teacher of the gods, and you're just my chauffeur, my friend. You're the teacher of the gods, and you were there. 
How are you there? You're here. And you speak about this yoga that is for the gods, and who am I? So Arjuna is a person of good character. We've seen that from the first chapter of the Gita. Uh, he's very righteous and so forth, but uh, still in the humility of a devotee, he thinks, well, what is my qualification if, this, if what you say is true and somehow you were there and somehow you are the teacher of the gods, what's my eligibility then for hearing about this? So these are the kind of doubts that have been created. So this is making, he's bringing in new territory. Now, the theology of the Gita pokes its its head out here in this, this chapter. And so Krishna begins to speak about himself. Arjuna has opened the door for him to explain his omniscience and his eternality. How, although he's here, he was there a long, long time ago. And he's distinguished between his eternality and that of Arjuna's. And that of, well, all souls are eternal, but still there's a difference. And also the difference between his eternality and that of realized souls and um, and his omniscience also and the difference between that and that of realized uh, yogins and so he's this is a big topic uh, and as again uh, Arjun paved the way he asked the question politely and so Krishna said well I just happen to be this is who I am and uh, in two verses he explained his omniscience and his uh, eternality. And um, in the context of doing that, it becomes clear that his form is not like uh, everyone else's form, that it's imperishable, he said. Ajo pisan avayatman, bhutanam ishvaro pisan, prakriting sham, adishthaya sambhavami, atmamaya. Just a few words, he says so much. Ajo peace, ajo peace on Ajo, I'm unborn, but I'm I'm imperishable. Avayam. I'm unborn and I'm unperish, imperishable, but I take birth nonetheless. Ajo peace on Avayatmam Bhutanam Ishvara. I'm I'm Bhutanam Ishvara. Of all living beings, I'm I'm like the god of, of everyone. Bhutanam. Prakriting Swam, in my own form I come. It means, and he's saying, I, I, my form and I are one. We're not different. Like an ordinary person is different from their material body. So he's speaking about the internality of his form. Prakriting swam. They come in my own mass. Swa, swarup. Prakriting here means form. Or it can mean material nature. I come in control of adhishtani, uh, my material nature. Atmaya sambhavami. By my own, my own, my own magic, Atmamaya means my own magic. I come, my own inconceivable shakti. So he introduces his here his swarup shakti, the internal kind of power or the potency of the Godhead that conducts the affairs of his his lila. That he never goes outside of the jurisdiction of. He places himself under that jurisdiction for the sake of intimate dealings with his devotees and never comes out. So even coming here, he stays within it. And how does he stay within that by coming here? That we're going to hear something about. So some questions have been answered, but more more questions arise in Arjun now. 
He thinks what? He thinks that, okay, so you say you're birthless, you say you're imperishable and all these things, okay, so that's good to have you as a friend. But I have a further doubt. If that's the case, then why would you come here in the first place? Where people are perishable and people don't know anything practically or very little, what to speak of knowing everything. So what business do you have in this world? Then, Why are you here in the first place? Of course, Krishna said a little something about it. He said Atmamaya previously here, and that also means... Atmamaya Maya also means mercy, so I come out of my nature, I'm, I'm kind. But um, Arjun still has doubts, so he's asking these things, so Krishna answers, he says in two famous verses, it go together very well, Yada yada hi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata abhyuttanam dharmasya taratmanam srijamyaham paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya Chaduskritam, Dharma Samsta Panartaya, Sambhavami Yuge, Yuge. So, first the when and then the, then, the, then the why. When do you come and why do you come? You say you come, when do you come? What, on what occasion that draws you here? And, uh, so he says first, Jidayada hi dharmasya glanir. Wherever the dharma the righteousness and so forth is on uh, the, the decline. This chapter also began with some discussion of the parampara, the guru parampara, through which the knowledge of yoga is handed. And this is a kind of avatara, as we've discussed, of Krishna also, the guru kripa. The, the guru guru is kind of like the, the incarnation of the, of the mercy of Krishna, the compassion of Krishna. The guru has some experience of the suffering of others. Krishna doesn't really have experience of the suffering of others. He's always under the jurisdiction of that sarup shakti, as I said. But those devotees who have developed in, 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 in bhakti and so forth, they have experience. It's like a memory. And also they're in proximity of those who are suffering readily. So the compassion of Bhagwan is primarily manifest through them. It's called Kripa Shakti. Kripa means mercy. So the Kripa Shakti of Bhagavan, the uh, superlative uh, advanced devotees are manifestations of this. So, so this parampara was discussed in brief and in the context of discussing this, parampara means one after another, a succession of teachers and so forth that represent the Kripa Shakti of Krishna. In the context of speaking about that, Krishna said, the reason that this thing keeps going on, I keep this in place, this guru after guru after guru, is this yoga nashta. Sometimes the teaching of yoga gets distorted. So dharma siglanir here, the term is used. It's, he's referring to the same thing, that, that, that sometimes this dharma gets out of, uh, um, how do you say, uh, mischief or un the black hat guys get the advantage or something like that. So I come and uh, rectify the situation. Hmm? So I manifest. It doesn't mean that, that in order to get Krishna here, we should do all kinds of evil deeds because that's what brings him here. <laughs> no, he comes. 
when there's a rise of irreligion, and uh, and then he deals with that. <clears throat> but I get again. I said these two verses. These verses. These there's two. They go together here, describing the when and the why. So he says, I come, I come whenever, whenever I think that there's there's a there's a prominent rise of of uh, religion or abuse of the Dharma. Kind of again the same principle. Yoganashta Parantapa. So it can be taken as a, as a reference to the guru comes and straightens straightens out the teaching that's been twisted and misunderstood by the students after the previous teacher um, uh, left the world and so forth. Or more so now, he's talking directly about himself personally coming. The guru is a manifestation of his his compassion and so forth, but now personally coming. So the, the question kind of is like, well, that arises, well, why do you have to personally come to do that? And so he says that, paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya chaduskritam tarmasam stapanarta sambhavami yuge He says that paritranaya sadhunam it means that there are sadhus in the world. Sadhu means uh, advanced devotees here. And I come to protect them. But what kind of protection do they need? What are they suffering from? Hmm? They're suffering from separation from me, hmm? the dark night of the soul. This is paining them, uh, uh, bringing them great pain. They're tormented by this. They have love for me. These kinds of devotees, they are always, they are always will be sadhakas in the world. The world is coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, becoming manifest, becoming unmanifest. And so many jiva souls are there, but amongst them are always some sadhakas. And some of these sadhakas reach a certain point in their practice that in order for them to fully perfect their lives, this separation has brought them to a pitch of uh, intensity in their devotion that Krishna has to answer to it. And in answering to that, the Brajendanandan Krishna makes his appearance. So here Krishna is talking directly about himself. Not only how he appears as the guru and or, or in other incarnations to establish dharma in different ways and so, and, and so forth and deal with the the unrighteous and and so on, but uh, about himself personally, Brajendananda Krishna, this appearance, that's very rare. But when those devotees have reached that point through, through, through prem in separation, then they, it is said they take birth in Krishna Lila. And that means that, that their bhava, their ecstasy, their longing, their prem, as I said, Krishna never goes outside of that jurisdiction of the Swarup Shakti, so he comes here and stays within it. He comes here by their influence. This is one way, in a thoughtful way, in a way here in which, here at least in which it's explained that he comes. We can talk of other reasons and so forth, his introspection and so forth, Chaitanya Charitamrita Krishnas Kaviraj Goswami basically says what's being said here, not for a long time have I bestowed this kind of praying 
Um, there are many devotees in the world, but there are some uh, very few interested in this. For them, I'm coming. I'm coming for them who want me in this way, like as a friend, like as a lover, me as I am in intimacy. And they're longing for me, the great in yoga, very intensely, not just in a sentiment, but they've attained bhava. They've gone through the fire of sadhana bhakti. And all, all unwanted things, anything that would be an impediment to the path, they've given up. And they're living only on the hopes of union with me. They've reached this stage, and I'm, I've, come, I've appeared in their hearts. They're seeing me there. They become attached to me, and they have developed, as a result of that attachment, an identity that corresponds with, with me, a type of sentiment of, for loving me that corresponds with a particular form of myself. And I need to come and stand right before their eyes so that they know I'm actually here. Hmm? Seeing me in their heart is not sufficient. They might think it was just, just, just a dream. Hmm? After all, they lose consciousness of the external world, they experience me within, and then they wake up, and then they wonder, was that, was that really happened to me? Did I, was he there? doesn't look like he's here. Where is Krishna? Where is Krishna? Hmm? Gadadhar Pandit was uh, a friend and classmate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And at one point, Gadadhar was speaking beautifully about Krishna, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in his badness said, where is Krishna? Where is Krishna? And, and Gadadhar said, don't, don't panic. Krishna is in your heart. Hmm? He's very close to you. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu began to tear his chest apart in ecstasy. He's in my heart. I've got to get out. Find him. Hmm? And Gadadhar then stopped him and, and uh, in other ways pacified him. And Sachi, the mother of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, said, Gadadhar, always stay with my son. Always stay with him. Protect him from himself. He's mad with Krishna Bhakti. He's, he goes... Uh, he becomes oblivious to external circumstances and the intensity of his uh, yogic uh, love. So that, that can't satisfy them even. Mm-hmm. It cannot be satisfied simply by meditating. Gopis were meditating in Braj. Krishna left to go to Mathura and then on to Dwarka. And they were left to think about him. And sometimes then he would come mm-hmm. mystically in a, in a dream of their absorption, he'd appear in a mystic way internally, but they doubted. They doubted it. Hmm. They weren't sat. That couldn't sat. This is a nice lesson of Bhakti Sandarbha or Bhagavatam, Krishna Sandarbha, I should say. They came in that way, but they couldn't be satisfied with that. Hmm. He has to come right there before them, just like one of them. Hmm. So, for these devotees that is the, the fuel and the impetus, so to speak, on this side for Krishna to come. He's under their influence. He's, he's conquered by their love. He cannot stay away from them. Hmm? He has to come, appear before them, and then take them into his, his leela. So here we find paritranaya sadhunam. This is the reason he actually comes. And establishing dharma, hmm? is the byproduct of that, in one sense. 
But in the primary sense, he also establishes dharma. Therefore, it's said here, Paritanaya Sadhanam. Hmm? And dharma samstapanartaya. Dharma samstapanartaya. He says that samstapanartaya means he establishes dharma. That's one of the things he does. Generally, we'll say establishing dharma is a secondary thing for Krishna. The main thing is he's tendering to the to the separation of his devotees, mitigating the pain of their separation. This is why he comes. As a secondary effect, uh, then he, he deals with uh, establishing the dharma. But here, the word dharma samstapanartaya takes us further. He establishes, it means samyak. Samyak means complete. Sam here is the prefix, samstapanartaya. Samyak means complete. He completely establishes dharma. He is, means he comes and establishes dharma in a way that no one else can. What kind of dharma is that then? Sri Rupa Goswami said, seeing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Namo Mahabhadanaya, Krishna Prema Pradayate, Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne, Gauru Tishedamaha. He said, Namo Mahabhadanaya, this is your character, Mahabhadanaya, you're the embodiment of compassion. We said that the devotee is the embodiment of Krishna's compassion, and when Krishna appears personally as a devotee in his Acharya Leela, in his Leela as a teacher, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then we have Mahabhadanaya, Mahakripa, great Kripa. Namo Mahabhadanaya, this is his, his uh, quality, and and what is his his activity, his lila? Krishna Prema Pradayate. He gives Krishna Prem. Rupa Goswami is saying, you, Chaitanya, must be Krishna. Why? Because you are giving Prem, love for Krishna. And only Krishna can give this kind of thing. Establish this in the world, this, this standard of Dharma. Other avatars may establish Dharma to one extent or another, but Prem Dharma, that is the wealth of Golok, Golok Er Premadhan. That is the wealth of Golok. That he is personally bringing. So, Samstapakanartha, Dharma Samstapanarthaya means he establishes Dharma like no one else can. So, this is Krishna. We're talking about Janmashtami. Janmashtami means the appearance of Krishna in the world. This is a, a rare thing uh, that makes the other avatars' appearance seem like back-page news in comparison, and that's that's pretty extraordinary. But there's there's a re- good reason for that. As we heard in the in discussion of Baladev, Krishna is speaking about himself, glorifying Baladev. He's also speaking really about himself in that section that we discussed, uh, but he he's doing it indirectly by glorifying Baladev. And there he mentions what that. Now, now, on this at this day, the world has become glorious. Krishna, in, in in his Pogonda age, he's, he's he's heavy enough to step on the ground so that it will leave footprints on the ground, full impression, and all of the symbols on his foot can be seen, and the devotees just seeing the footprints can look at the symbol and oh, he made, this represents this about Krishna, and this represents that about Krishna, and so forth. So. In his Kumar age, then he's not heavy enough to make a full imprint. So 
So in his Pogon day, this is a celebratory time for Vrindavan because the, he's going to enter the forest, deep into the forest as a cow herd now. He's only previously been herding the cow, calves. So Vrindavan is so jubilant with this Poganda Leela. And Krishna says, now the world has become glorious. It means for these reasons, because now means Prem is coming to the world. The Dharma of Prem, this super religious kind of idea that makes religion look look like a cheating business. Kaitava Dharma, like a taking only. Religion being that act of business that we enter into with God for the sake of improving our material conditions. I'll give to you, and then you give me that. I'll pray for this, give me that, give me this. Like a child, give me this, give me this. This childhood idea of religion is retired. Generally that idea is retired from the strength of knowledge that the things are not the best things. Well, we approach God for things, and then we come to the, gradually to the understanding that things aren't the best things. It's me, the, the person who experiences the things. Consciousness, not matter. This is coming to knowledge. So this praying makes that cheating kind of religion, business negotiation, worshiping God for material benediction, it's, it's kind of like an insanity. You, know, you approach the... Krishna, and you ask for money. It's like, what is that? So, uh, what will that do for you compared to what Krishna could give you? And then knowledge, the the knowledge that retires that dharma, that is also a small thing in comparison to to bhakti and to vaidhi bhakti. And now we're talking about Prajanda Nandan Krishna, rag bhakti. This is a real wealth here. Chintamani prakrasadmasu kaupabriksha lakshavrite shu suravira bhipalayantam. That place is described by Brahma, the four-headed one, Vidhi himself, who knows all the rules and all the Veda. He said, Chintamani, when the dust cleared, Chintamani prakrasadmasu kaupabriksha lakshavrite shu suravira bhipalayantam. This place, he's trying to tell us something about that that dimension, that 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 play, and he says, the dust is is like the philosopher's stone that is said. If you touch this stone to metal to iron, it will turn iron into gold. Or you touch it to another stone, that stone will turn into gold. Chintamani, prakarasadmasu, kalupariksha. The trees are wish fulfilling trees. You can get anything you want from the trees, and kamdenu. The cows, from their udders, you can milk out whatever you want. It's a land that, that, that fulfills all desires. When we hear this, people think, well, I should go there. But then you look further. And who are the people there? What is the speciality of that place? Is the people, they don't want anything there. Everything is at their disposal, offering whatever you want, you can have. They don't want anything. Amikichu China, Amikichu China. I don't want anything. I, they only want prem. And wanting prem means not to want anything. In a huge way. Prem means love. If I only want love of God, then I don't want anything. Because I don't want anything is one thing. I only want prem. You see, that's very different. That includes not wanting anything. That's like making a hole 
and putting the, you know, you want to bury something, you make a hole and put it in the ground, and then it's gone. And then building a temple on top of it, something like that. So that there's no question, you don't even know the hole was there, you can't even get to it anymore. And what I'm saying is that this is the nature of bhakti, you see. We want things, that's the problem. Because we want things, we, we are at a loss of, of self-knowledge. We want things. And there's a price for that. It's huge. It's at the cost of knowing yourself. So, that I don't want anything. This is a, this is a, this is a, it sounds progressive, and, and, and it is in a sense. This is knowledge. I don't want anything. So there may be methods for arriving at not wanting anything. But the bhakti method is what? Wanting means I have this enjoying spirit. So if I cut off the enjoying spirit, I don't want. But if I replace the enjoying spirit with a serving spirit, this is like the best defense is a good offense, something like that. It's like really very, there's no room for that enjoying spirit to, to, to grow, to surface. Hmm? Because after you dug the hole and threw all the wants in there, as I say, you build a temple on it. And so wanting frame is really not wanting anything. If you don't, I don't, I'm not going to take anything from you, is one thing. I'm going to give everything to you. And now if I'm going to become a giver, I give everything to you, there's no, no question of taking anything. But the mystic reality is, of course, I get you entirely. You become purchased. I get you. So this is, this is the standard of the Brajabhakti. And there's, it, there's described like this. This is one of the reasons. Oh, it's the trees can give what anything you want. The cows, the land is mystical. You get whatever you want. And so you might be attracted to pay attention to it. Then you look closely. What's it all about? And you find out what the people are like there, how they don't want anything. Then you think, what do they have? They don't want anything. They have. They don't want anything. They could just go to that tree and get any little thing, and they don't want anything. So what do they have? They have prem, and that is the wealth, really, the wealth of Golok, the wealth of Krishna's life. And this prema dharma, this is makes knowledge of the self look small. What to speak of cheating religion and all. Therefore, Bhagavatam begins, dharma projita kaitavutra. And Gita ends in the same way. Completely rejecting all these things. Gan, karma, the desire for these things. They will get in the way of praying. And in the context of praying, what will you be wanting? What will you be lacking? The one who owns everything has become your friend. You don't have to trouble yourself to own things with the fear that they may be taken and have to pay the bills for them and so forth. So, no, you have your friend, the friend who owns everything and is eternal. So there's no death there either. So what, what may be sought after by becoming religious or by becoming knowledgeable in a spiritual sense, these things are there within bhakti and, of course, um, much more. That plane is very mysterious. But every, everything that is, all dharma is present there. Therefore, in the context of the Leela, you see they're very dharmic. 
in the context of their rag, they're performing vaiti bhakti. Vaiti bhakti is present. You understand? Dharma is present. And eternality is present. They asked Krishna, his family and friends, what will be happen to us after death? Krishna showed them a mystic vision. What did he show them? Oh, you'll be in Golok. Now you're in Gokul. Gokul means cow fam- family of the cow people. And Golok means planet of the, you know, plain of the cow people. So, so he said, he showed them that where they'd be in the next life. And the same thing. The cows would be there, your friends would be there, all these things. So that it is eternal, that it is, that mighty bhakti is within there, that knowledge is in that, dharma is in there, all these things and more are contained within Prem. So samyak, some, some sapanartaya, completely establishing dharma. This is Krishna's business. Nobody else can do that. And what causes him to do that? Those who are just budding in their Prem in separation. He needs to come before them personally to satisfy them. Nothing else will satisfy them. They have such a heart for giving that he has... How can you give to him in meditation? It's very difficult. Then you wonder if he actually accepted. It may appear so, but then you wake up and think, God, it was only a dream. The devotees will never, ever, ever be satisfied by antardarshan. Never, ever. There's only a yoga mishra bhakti. In Bhagavad Bhagavatamrita, we find is Gopu Kumar goes to uh, Tapalok, hmm? Janalok, Maharlok, one of these lok. Uh, I think it is. Is it Janalok? Tapalok. And there, there's all the Kumaras and Pipalaya and all these rishis and so forth. And they're all meditating on the form of the Lord. They meditate so intensely on the Lord that their chitta is so clear that only vritti there is the Bhagavat vritti, is Bhagwan. So if in their meditation, kurma avatar comes in their heart, they appear like kurma avatar. Or uh, achutya Vishnu makes appearance. Ananta, and they appear like Ananta. It's incredible. Gopakumar is looking at this and they're showing this thing. And he's thinking, I want to leave here I want to go maybe back to Jagannath Puri where I can see, see the deity of Lord Jagannath. They say, why go anywhere? You can look within. With yoga, you can look within. And mixed with bhakti, and, and you have to, don't have to go anywhere. And other places, the Lord leaves and leaves the devotees in separation. But in meditation, he's always there. And anyway, you don't really see with these eyes. You see with the chitta. And it's eternal, internal. So real vision is actually internal. They have so much reasoning and logic and so forth. But why it doesn't satisfy Gopu Kumar? Because he's not interested in, ultimately his destiny isn't, isn't only Yoga Mishra Bhakti, but Shuddha Bhakti and Braj Bhakti. He cannot be satisfied with that idea. And so Mrit Bhagavatam Sanatana very carefully shows in, in, in the course of the text that the, the appearance of Bhagwan outside, in front of the, this is the, there's no comparison between this and antardarshan, internal darshan. And so Krishna has to come. He has to come personally to satisfy those devotees. He's, he's forced by the power of their, their love. This is his surup shakti that's taken root in them, in their hearts, through Guru Parampara, the ingress of this has come, and then they've cultivated that. And it's reached a certain pitch now that, that janamastami must take place. This is janamastami. This is the birth of Krishna. We find 
Vasudev had an impression in his heart. He passed it on to Devaki. That is Diksha, initiation. And as she cultivated that, then it, it, it rose to this, the birth of Krishna in, in, in Mathura. And then, of course, in, in Vrindavan, it is the same idea. Nanda, Jashoda, they wanted to have a son. They meditated long. So we'll talk about that tonight. So their bhakti, their, their, their smaranam, their prem, that is the cause of Janmastami. So these two are one and different. The heart of the devotee and Sri Krishna corresponding. If it is a Vishnu heart, you will see Vishnu. If it is Krishna you have in your heart, then Krishna will come. If it is Krishna in a particular way, as a friend or as a lover, then it will appear a little differently. Different qualities will stand out over other qualities relative to the type of love that you have. So here we, Krishna has answered the questions. When I appear, he says, yeah, when, whenever there's a rise of adharma, and why? Uh, for the purpose of satisfying um, my devotees. And in the midst of that, I establish prem dharma. I protect my devotees from the, the storm of their uh, separation, the suffering, the darkness, uh, that, like they say in Christianity, the dark night of the soul. Huh? I satisfy them with union, stiti, uh, siddhi. And then, as a byproduct of that, you can say, sometimes thought, I deal with, uh, he says here, demonic elements. But that also here, really understood fully, is referring only to Krishna because again those, those that can be dealt with by so many. Ram killed so many demons and, and uh, Ravana and so forth and other avatars, Braha and so forth. But these are the kind that only Krishna can 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 deal with, something like that. That no one else can deal with. That says another thing to us. If you're gonna hate, hate Krishna. And if it becomes strong enough you'll attract his attention. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> this is the teaching of the Bhagavatam. Narada looks and he says to his dear Maharaj at one point in the seventh canto, man, I wish I was a demon. Something like this. Because they're so absorbed. Look at how Kamsa was absorbed, absorbed in thoughts of Krishna. Or Sisupal. If only my yoga could have that kind of intensity. Of course, he's a Vaidhi Marg Bhakta. But, so he's, he's looking at them and thinking, wow, they've really uh, preoccupied so the teaching, in one sense, is somehow or other you think of Krishna. And conversely, somehow the Krishna thinks of you. If he becomes indifferent, if the guru becomes indifferent to us, then everything is lost. If he's mad at us, he must care about us. Enough to be upset. Has some attachment to you, otherwise why he's upset? He wants your improvement. He cannot tolerate that you're not improving. So he's, he's upset. So that's good for us. Of course, if he's pleased with us, oh, well, all the better. But if he's indifferent to us, he's given up on us. But that we don't want. That doesn't mean, well, I'll, I haven't been able to please him, so I'll go and try and displease him and get his attention, something like that. But well, the idea is, anyway, if we get the attention of Krishna, or the attention of, if someone of consequence is thinking about us, then I, of spiritual consequence, then our life has, has meaning. So... If we find in Krishna Leela that he dealt with, with Kamsa and others, and these were people that nobody else could 
really deal with. They were so absorbed with animosity and so forth that uh, he dealt with them. Of course, in the deal, in the, of course, in the course of dealing with them, they were liberated as well. And this is one of the special qualities of Krishna that Jiva Goswami has carefully pointed out in his Krishna Sandarbha that the other avatars that are killed by that destroy demonic elements and so forth don't afford those persons uh, liberation in the context of, of, of killing them. Only, only Krishna. This is another reason why Krishna's too Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna has unique qualities that no other avatar. He's the avatari. So, having answered these questions, then Krishna comes to rest here for the most part. He says, Janma karma chame divyam evam yoveti tatvata chaktva deham punarjan naiti mameti. So, Arjuna. He says, now, having explained the nature of his descent uh, to a large extent, he says, what's the result of understanding the things that I've talked about? And it's very powerful, he says. Janma karma chamedivya. One who understands my birth and my activities, janma karma chamedivyam, to be as I have explained them, divyam. Divyam means divine. It means mysterious. It means those who have understood myself, as I've explained myself herein, have no no need for material logic. That's what he's saying. This is the implication of the word dubium. They have no need for that. Of course, those who have understood, there's a way to understand that. That is to accept the logic of bhakti and... Uh, and, uh, and and so forth. And they have. He's saying by material logic and reasoning, I won't be known. That is not possible. Those who have understood me to be divine, it means by my by my coming under the influence of my srup shakti, who have conducted themselves in such a way as to draw this within their heart, draw my sympathy in this way. The, uh, those people will understand me, and I will never be understood any other way, he's saying. Not, that is not possible. By any kind of intellectual exercise, it is not possible. We should exercise our intellect in relation to this if we want to arrive at a kind of knowing that transcends reason. And there is knowing that transcends reason, and there is knowing that transcends you know, thought. We think we know because we think and because we reason, but what do we know by reasoning? What do we know conclusively by reasoning? You may say, well, I know that two and two is four, if you that, now, then that's, that's universal, but maybe, maybe in this universe or parts of it, who knows, but we'll go on elsewhere. The, the, we've talked a little bit about the material nature and its expanse, it's, it's infinite. This is what Sukadev told when he was asked by Parikshit in the Bhagavatam to explain the Maya Shakti of Krishna that manifests the world that he might have that much more regard for Krishna by understanding his his secondary Shakti. Sukadev said, well, I'll do what I can, but no one can understand it. The teaching is, in the Bhagavad, in the material world cannot be fully understood by the, by the power of reasoning. Hmm? We can't even understand what is reasoning fully. So, and of course, and the statement of the sutras there, that 
weighs in rather heavily on this. It says that, uh, what is that? Vedanta um, Sutra? Tarkova Pratishtanat. By reasoning, you get nowhere. In other words, you, it's circular. Any reasoning has a superior reasoning. You may say, well, there may be a superior reasoning to what you're saying then too. And we say, yep. Reasoning is not the way. We reason about bhakti as far as possible. We, you know, we reason